calculating food grants. I think it's pretty appalling, really. The Labour saga. Dirty public need assurances. And our PM meets Donald Trump. I think he's looking for friends. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And I'm Benedict Collins. And those observant of you would notice that it's just the two of us today, and that's because Mikey Sherman is off in Japan. She's with the Prime Minister covering her trip. I think that's my peak this week, just seeing her getting amongst it, um, covering a, re- a really important story and an important moment. So, um, you know... Her reporting from a very lovely Japan. Yeah, and my uh, peak for the week is a little closer to home. Uh, the other day, uh, just out on the front lawn here in Parliament, I was filming a piece to camera, and uh, two kaka flew into the tree up above us, uh, myself and the cameraman, and started breaking um, twigs and sticks off the tree and sort of throwing them down at us. Uh, so a couple of little jerk kaka there that I thought really made my day. I thoroughly I enjoyed didn't it. Like what you were saying, probably from one of the political <laughs> parties, opposing yeah, political yeah. parties. Um, my pitch this week was around Carol Shubrick. Now, um, he wasn't granted parole, and it's not so much the pit around the decision, it's just that I think we all hype ourselves up and, and think, oh, there might be a decision, you know, there'll be a decision, we're not quite sure which way it will, will go, and always when it's denied, it does feel a little bit deflating that he just stays there and, and the ramifications um, don't tick over. So I think that was um, that was the pit this week, gearing up for that, and then it, yeah, it not really eventuated. You would have expected politically it to sort of fire up again, had he yeah. had the... Re- Parole board made that decision to release him in the near term future. Yeah, right? so I guess a pit yeah. from a from a journalistic point of view. Yeah, and uh, my pit for the week um, this week at um, the Prime Minister's weekly um, post cabinet press conference, things got a little bit weird. Um, so the, the Prime Minister came out and gave us sort of a, a ten minute spiel or sort of a speech over things that had happened the last week and trips coming up. Um, and, and her plans over the next few days, including Japan and, and New York. But then only answered questions for a sort of a pretty similar amount of time, about 13 minutes, I think, and then promptly took off. Um, and so we only really got to ask questions about the the Labour um, scandal. And yeah, just uh, it sort of infuriated a lot of journalists uh, in the press gallery that you've sort of, this is our time to question her as, a, as the um, parliamentary sort of press gallery. And yet you get a, you get a 10 minute spiel and then only you know, sort of ten, ten odd minutes to ask questions. Hey, but I think we do need to keep this in perspective. We have incredible access to the Prime Minister and our other politicians here in New Zealand, like just repeatedly access on, on most days. And I think the other thing as well with this is that it's one of those things that if you complain to people who perhaps are outside this building, no one really cares. It's just for us. And, and yep, as you say, we do get great access to us. It's not so much the time that she can give us. She's a she's the busiest woman in New Zealand. But it's if you're choosing the time to give us sort of a, um, here's what I've done this week, we know. We were there for most of it. You know, she, it, it's unnecessary. We would rather just have the time yeah, and yeah. in the past, I think um, with jo- with John Key and with Bill English at the, um, those pa- uh, post cabinet weekly press conferences, they'd often say, "Hey guys, this is what I've got coming up today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday. This is important. This is happening mm. in Parliament. Yeah, take a minute or two to just explain what their movements are that week, which was great. And then bang, it's into questions. And pretty much all the time, they'd stay there until you no one had any more questions to ask. So quite quite different what we're seeing from Jacinda Ardern here. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about bang, let's get into this. Um, let's have a look at Benedict's story on food grants. 
a government ministry under fire. It's completely ridiculous. I think it's a pretty appalling, really. And on the back foot. I wouldn't say that we don't understand their data. After being called out by Otago University on One News for the way it's using their food survey. No, I wouldn't be comfortable with it being used, for, especially for hardship benefits. For MSD to use a study uh, without having talked to the authors, not understanding the limitations of that data and what it would tell them, um, is quite frankly wrong. Now, the Minister wants answers. Uh, given the queries that you've raised, Benedict, through the questions that you've been asking, I have asked for an interim report to get some feedback on how that's going. Yeah. Under the Otago Food Survey, I mean, I would be entitled to more food than you because I'm a because I'm a bloke. You know, do you think that's fair? Uh, look, I, I want to get that interim report before I cast any judgment, but I have asked those questions. After One News' coverage, the Ministry finally got in touch with Otago. They're actually quite comfortable now and they can see why we're doing it and actually see why it makes a bit of sense. Well, that's certainly not how Otago University described things. They said they still have concerns that the Ministry's food grant calculator could be underestimating people's food needs. And they said they're still waiting to receive additional information the Ministry said it would provide them. Women need to ask separately for sanitary products because the Otago Food Survey doesn't cover them. There are some things that are incredibly expensive that women of a certain age need to buy. Like it's, and it, you know, wins shouldn't be in people's lives like that. The calculator has actually been used in Auckland since 2016. It was used sort of sporadically across um, different offices. But the Ministry insists it's not just punching numbers into a calculator. So there's a, a quite a significant range of questions that our case managers ask um, our clients. In my experience, Work and incomers never ask these questions. Welfare advocates say if the government just increased benefits, none of this would be necessary. Yeah, so we saw some real movement um, this week. Obviously, the minister now has seen enough um, to be to be quite concerned about the use of this calculator uh, by wins when they're assessing people's benefits uh, or, or their food grants, rather. Um, and it is quite a complicated story, but the essence is that. The ministry never understood that Otago University, when they use this calculator, they're always assuming you're going shopping as a family of four and you have multiple incomes and that you can buy it bulk. So you can always buy, say, a kilo of cheese, which is a lot cheaper than going in as an individual where you're going to be buying the 200 grams of cheese at that inflated price uh, compared to the kilo so you're not get that, getting those economies of scale and when you multiply that across every single item in your, in your trolley, quite quickly people's um, you know, food grants could be wildly underestimated. So, yeah, hoping that the minister is going to get uh, a report back sort of in the next few days, and obviously it's something we'll be looking into again next week when she does get that report back. And one of the things that I found really interesting from that story was about the discrepancy between men and women as well. Could you go through that a little bit for us? Yeah, so the Otago Food Survey, hey, and this was never meant to be determining people's food grants, but it's they basically work out the nutritional value of what someone needs to have a, a healthy basic diet in this country and so it's quite interesting you look at like a teenage boy um the amount of food say for, let's let's just use an example here in wellington they might be allocated 90 dollars um that's what they need for a growing body for a teenage boy but a, an adult woman might only be 85 dollars, right because they they're deemed to be need less food so that's that's kind of how it works and men are always allocated more than women um yep yeah, so and i think my take on this anyway is that the minister's office has felt that she's getting more information from one news about this calculator and how it's used than from her own ministry and i suspect that's why she's come in and said hey look i need a 
I need a pretty urgent review on what's going on here because a lot of the things, like when I went to, to her office and said, hey, look, they've actually been using this since 2016. Um, that was sort of felt to me like that's, this was complete news to them. And she did front up on this and did take it forward and said, hey, hang on a second, we do need some answers on that on this. And that was yeah. after you've been doing this story repetitively. So it was good to see her fronting and, and, and getting on top of it. Yeah, and I think also my understanding is Minister's Office thought, um, you know, women could not, not only are they allocated less money for food, which is, you know, in a lot of cases clearly going to be ridiculous, um, but also it doesn't cover sanitary items. And I think the Minister's Office was kind of like, hey, what, what is going on here? How, how badly disadvantaged are women being? Yeah, we're well, talking about what is going on here. The Labour story just kept bubbling away this week. So let's take a look at my story on that from Monday. A woman known as Sarah laid out claims about a sexual assault by a Labour staffer in the spin-off last week. She says she raised the sexual assault allegations during the Labour Party investigation, in email and in person, but was ignored. Now one of the three investigators, Labour Party member Simon Mitchell, says that's not the case and says he has a forensic examination to prove it was never emailed to him. In a statement to One News, he says, at no point did she say that she had been sexually assaulted or tell us about the events that are described in the spin-off article. He says that includes during a meeting in March and all emails and attachments sent to him. He adds, In June, after being advised of the outcome, the complainant emailed me and other members of the panel thanking us for our hard work. So what does the Prime Minister make of Mr Mitchell going public? My view is that at this point we need to focus the process on the complainants, um, continuing to prosecute this case um, in this manner um, does not help those complainants. We've now created uh, a place where they can be heard. So the Prime Minister supposedly has taken charge this weekend and within hours one of her own council members has defied the very process that she has put in place. The the other two panellists wouldn't comment to One News today. Paula Bennett says some of the complainants have been confiding in her. Um, certainly I have always found them to be um, uh, credible and I believe them. The Prime Minister announcing more reviews of the saga this afternoon. This new review will look at how the Labour Party handled it. It'll be independent. That's because the Queen's Council review by Maria Jew will now just look at the complainants. The Prime Minister will bring in a victim's advocate who specialises in sexual assault. Add to that list a culture review of the party. But no promises on what will be made public. Do the public need assurances, though? And I'm, and I'm giving that. Uh, but you'll understand that, of course, whilst I'm giving um, uh, the assurance that we will make public um, that second report, uh, there may, of course, be sensitive material that complainants may ask for us to redact. This action plan, a bid to try and heal some of the hurt. So this story really took it forward in terms of the developments from Simon Mitchell. So the heads of news of, of lots of the journalist organisations that have been covering this um, sent letters through with statements from him. Now, we were requesting um, information and, and to talk to him um, from the week before. It came out on the Monday laying out um, that he says he got someone to look through his emails and that nothing was emailed to him in regard to a, in, a in, sexual assault. In, yeah, in regard to those attachments, right, yeah. which supposedly had the, or arguably had the 
sexual assault allegations. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's what the that those are the claims that are out there. So yeah. he came out and and was very adamant. Yeah. Um, he's a lawyer himself. Um, the the letters came from his lawyer as well, and we were able to share um, his perspective and his side of the story to all of this as well. And 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 this is what's been happening with this story is that we've been getting this bit, this bit, this bit, and trying to paint a picture and trying to marry up how those two things can be the same. So and wildly different, hey? Yeah, yeah, they are. And I, I used, I've used this analogy a little bit, but it's like one side is arguing that this table is black and one side is arguing this table is white. And somewhere we'll find out what's right and what's wrong. But at the moment it's really it's, it's really difficult to marry those two ideas together. Yeah, and one thing that I thought was really interesting um, was Paula Bennett on Monday saying, hey, look, the Prime Minister spent all week trying to get Labour on the same page and say, hey, it's time to take this out of the public sphere and for us to have these separate inquiries by independent parties to figure out what has gone on here and what needs to change. And yet that Simon Mitchell puts out that statement shortly before her um, post-Cabinet press conference. Yeah, and I guess from his perspective, he's trying to protect his... His own his, name and his reputation, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I guess, on the flip side, for the um, the victims or, or the complainants in this, in this situation, um, it's a really difficult situation having this coming out days after you've, you've said your piece as well. So it's just, it's just messy. And I think... The Prime Minister heading off to go overseas and in some ways puts a bit of a full stop on it or a pause button on the story for a little while. But um, there's just there's so many unanswered questions. We've had another review come in. It's it's just one of those stories that you, you, there are so many layers. Yeah, one of the interesting things I thought in your track, Jess, was you talked about um, the Labour Party's culture review, having a review into their party culture. Mm, again. And it wasn't that long ago that we saw the <laughs> National Party having a review into their culture, um, a supposed review into their culture, which was originally supposed to make sure that women were safe. And as as we reported earlier this year, you know, the re- people doing the review didn't even speak to their female MPs. And one of the things that, and I didn't end up including this on the st- um, in the story the other day, but the Prime Minister talked about it at the post-Cabinet press conference. She said, if this can happen to the Labour Party, which is an organisation that holds itself up as being, you know, a champion for women and being aware of, of these circumstances, what hope is there for other organisations and, you know, councils and law firms and et cetera, et cetera. And I did think that was an interesting point because, uh, you know, she after the summer camp they they said look we're going to do better with this we're going and and these allegations and the way this was handled was so so awful and you it just makes you think that um we we shine a very bright light on well hopefully we try to shine a very bright light on the government and and how it conducts itself um most organizations don't have that we're there to hold them to account and it just makes you you think about these kinds of allegations in other workplaces. So I did think I did think that was an interesting we, we, point. We don't have that sort yeah. of oversight of the of the media. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But the prime minister has jetted off um, for her first stop, which is of course to Japan for the Rugby World Cup, and Mikey Sherman is there and getting amongst it. <laughs>
As New Zealand attempts to win big on the rugby pitch, Kiwi exporters are already tasting success here in Japan. We've seen a 60% increase in our honey, for instance, going into Japan, 30% on uh, beef, an increase uh, in wine and also in kiwi fruit. It's due to the revamped Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, which in its original form saw thousands of Kiwis march in protest. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was crucial in rescuing the deal, signed in December last year. For a Japanese leader, he's one of the more assertive that they've had and he seems to have a clear vision for Japan, which he is implementing. I think one of the greatest benefits for New Zealand from the CPTPP trade agreement was what it's done for us in the Japanese market. Over time, basically seeing those tariffs reduce overall for all, every single product that's going into Japan. But a report today from the Asian New Zealand Foundation questions whether we've allowed our relationship with Japan to drift in favour of China. Because of the opportunities that have existed in the region, particularly around China, a lot of our energy has been going there. This will be my third meeting um, with Prime Minister Abe. Uh, and so I think that we are now at a time where actually both New Zealand and Japan are focusing on lifting that relationship even further. It's a relationship valued at almost $9 billion dollars in two-way trade each year. How to grow that sure to be on the agenda at tomorrow's official talks between the two leaders. As for the Rugby World Cup, a captain's call from the Prime Minister. I'm calling it for the All Blacks, you know, um, and I think, you know, every New Zealander will be absolutely behind them and I think they need to feel that support from us. There'll certainly be no shortage of that. So you've got a situation where the Prime Minister leaves New Zealand, flies all the way to Japan, welcomes the media into a press conference and says, hello and welcome to China. Mixing up Japan and China and where she is now. Um, she blamed it on a little bit of jet lag, understandably. But I think uh, the reason that it was an interesting um, little, little, what do you call it? Slight, perhaps? or a little mis misspeak um, is because there has been criticism that New Zealand's attention um, and the focus of our courtship has been too much on China and we've neglected Japan a little bit and they're still a very, very valuable um, trading partner for us. So um, perhaps... Un it's not often that you feel a bit sorry for politicians, but in that situation <laughs> oh, you just think... Oh, and you'd, oh. Be, you'd be kicking yourself, wouldn't you, if you're the... Yeah, having, Damn it. and and apparently yeah. it was it was first up. Yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. very first line to <laughs> when come she out. got off the plane. Yeah. yeah, so as long as she gets the prime minister's name right tomorrow or today, I think we'll be all right. But I but it is a really valuable trading partner for us. That's right, and it was interesting. I thought um, the prime minister talking this week and Mikey covering as well. Those that boom in exports for New Zealand to Japan, particularly I know Mikey all week was calling uh, honey exporters, you know, trying to get uh, get in touch with them this week because apparently, you know, trade with, with honey and with beef has just gone, you know, absolutely booming since the CPTPP has come into um, effect. Yeah, and I think, you know, those kinds of trade stories, when I say, hey, look, do I have a story for you? It's about trade. It's one of those things that doesn't always resonate with people, but it's, it's huge and it's really important. And this trip is an official state visit. So, yep, she's going over and... Um, she'll be watching uh, one game of rugby uh, on this trip as well. But it's also about having that face-to-face -face with uh, Prime Minister Abe, which is a big deal, especially when he's got so many um, visitors in town. And 
and it gives us a chance to push things like tourism, push things like trade. So she'll spend a few days there they're doing that. So it is it's it's an important trip for her. And your um, prediction for the All Blacks? All oh, Blacks South Africa this weekend? Obviously one. Okay. Yeah. Are you gonna say something different? <laughs> Just interested. I feel like there's a th- that was a loaded question. Well we drew with them, didn't we? Just yeah, recently. Yeah, I think. but obviously this is a hmm. world stage. You step up when you need to step up, Benedict Collins. Okay, okay. They'll be fine, don't you worry. Um the next stop on the Prime Minister's trip, of course, is going to be New York. And we heard this week that she has secured a bilateral meeting, so a private sit-down proper meeting with US President Donald Trump. Let's take a look at that. They've dressed up at world events, had the odd chat and talked on the phone. But it's taken two years to secure a proper meeting with the US President. I think my relationship is absolutely fine. Fine doesn't get you an invite to the White House, but a meeting during the UN General Assembly in New York with all the competing world leaders is a win. They'll have a private conversation, they'll have a chance to strengthen the relationship, um, and uh, I think that's the most important thing, not, not what city they meet in or what building they meet in. I describe our relationship as, um, as, as good between world leaders. But not as good as the Australian Prime Minister. Donald Trump is taking a trip to Ohio with him. The relationship with America and New Zealand is not as strong as it is between Australia and America. And there was a strong personal relationship previously with President Obama and Prime Minister Key. And the two people who are currently in office are very different people. Jacinda Ardern has openly disagreed with the President. Joining a march before becoming Prime Minister that was seen by some to be anti-Trump. In our market she can say what she likes and he probably doesn't care. Experts say the relationship was bruised when the US refused to support the Christchurch call in Paris. So why has President Trump agreed to meet New Zealand's leader? She has become a global leader of repute. I think he's looking for friends a little bit, um, but on the same count, um, you know, he knows that New Zealand is a, a good and loyal partner. The agenda will likely include China's influence in the Pacific, trade, the Christchurch call and climate change. At this point, the Prime Minister seems keen to talk about almost anything other than the sexual assault allegations saga back home. So this is obviously a really good get, um, regardless of how you break it down, um, her getting that bilateral meeting at the UN General Assembly where lots of other countries are fighting and clamouring for attention. I think it's worth pointing out it's not a White House visit and that's what um, diplomatically you'll want an invite um, and they'll need to be, to, to make it a success, she'll need to have raised all the things that she needs to raise and had some kind of gesture of, oh, you must come and visit sometime. Oh, we must do this again. Some kind of diplomatic speak for setting that in motion because it's been two years into her prime ministership. Yeah, what sort of coverage do you think we will get of this bilateral, given it's you know on the sides of the big UN um, meeting? From time that I've spent overseas, with her she gets heaps of attention when she's away and I think that's one of the things that you notice when you're overseas with her a lot is people kind of she is a lot more of a superstar um on the international stage and you've got all of the other media know who she is and and um want a piece of her I guess she's something different she's not the cookie cutter politician so I think she will get attention like she always does over there and with that comes the responsibility I guess to 
push the key messages that are important to New Zealand and, and get that across, you know what I mean? You capitalise on that. So I think there, I mean, let's be let's be real, a, a meeting with Donald Trump and, and Jacinda Ardern may not spark everyone's interest of from little old New Zealand, but I do think um, she will get attention over there and there'll certainly be some of the US media that are interested in this given given who the US president is and what he stands for and given who she is and what she stands for it'll be a re- it'll be so interesting to see hmm. what do you think the key topics of conversation will be well with my <laughs> there's a little smirk there but i mean the big ones are obviously um china's influence in the pacific that'll yeah. come up um trade with steel and aluminium tariffs are an, another obvious one that she'll need to raise um and, and I think our trade relationship, Christchurch call, the US didn't sign up to that in Paris. She may cho- use the opportunity to try and push yeah, that as yeah. well. So there's there's a lot of things um, to to tick off the list um, from, from our perspective. And you've got to just take advantage of it. The other thing on a more surface level is trying to build that relationship. Um, John Key and Barack Obama had a... Had a close personal relationship even though they were on slightly you know they were on different different political spectrums some would argue not really but but they had different political views on on lots of things but they had a really tight personal relationship she had interest in playing golf yeah Yeah, they did how many times do we stand outside golf courses but um they will need to build that personal relationship because they've they've had the odd phone conversation yeah they've you know, bumped into each other. That ha- they've had a couple of chats at world forums, but that relationship is key for us, and and they'll be wanting to build a rapport. And I think it'll be interesting to, to see how much you know the the incident with Saudi Arabia and the oil fields and that kicking off with Iran and the US, you know, calling Iran out. Um, how much that's going to overshadow the whole United Nations conference as well? Yeah, and I think, and that's the thing that we've. Um, got to remember and and the challenge for Rebecca Wright our US correspondent over there is that's the umbrella going over all of this Um, and so how much attention do you is focused on that and how much is on on you know the New Zealand side of things and and what we're there doing and and what we're trying to Mm. push and trying to achieve so um, it'll be really good to have her on the ground there and reporting back all the the nuances and the stories Uh, remember one time when um, the US president and the prime minister had a little chat at a world summit. Uh, there was rumour that he mistook her for um, Justin yes. Trudeau's <laughs> wife. So um, I'm sure there'll be lots of um, little quirks and maybe some um, little stories. Gaffs. Yeah, yes. little gaps that yes. come out of that um, that meeting again. So we'll be watching very keenly on that. But we'll leave it there for now. That was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available around this time each week from One News Now and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Thanks for joining us. Yeah.